It's Friday night. What places are you heading to for post-work happy hour? Tell us. This podcast is making a best of the best list and needs recommendation for happy hour menus at restaurants in KC. Text us at 816-601-4777. That's 816-601-4777. Standard texting rates apply. UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is UpToDate on KCUR 89.3. Melissa Ferrer-Seville is Kansas City's first poet laureate. Mayor Quentin Lucas announced Seville's appointment last week to celebrate the start of Black History Month. As the city's ambassador to the arts, Seville will work with local organizations to foster interest in poetry and serve as a mentor to the next generation of creators. Melissa Farrar Seville is here to tell us more. Melissa, thanks for taking so much time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So what's it like to be named Kansas City's first poet laureate? Honestly, it's a little unbelievable. So, Is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people tell me I'm very deserving and that my hard work and attention and presence has gotten me here. Um, but I think all of these shifts that are sudden and big, you're never really prepared for, no matter how long you've been working at Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Did this come out of the blue or did you know it was coming? So I, as far as last week, I knew last week was coming, but yeah. the uh, appointment itself was kind of out of the blue. I uh, not nominated myself. And I, you know, there are so many amazing poets that represent Kansas City who have Mm -hmm. been doing it longer than I have. So I was very surprised to find that I received it. This is a year long appointment from Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas. How are you approaching this new role? Yeah. Um, so I, first of all, with a lot of intention, right? I'm typically I'm a poet and an organizer. And so it is my perspective that poetry is not just meant to stay on the page. We witness to the truth because we want to see better things. Mm. Um, and I believe in poetry as a vehicle to help us get there. And so for me, I want to plan programming that will help people find themselves, find their agency, find accountability and responsibility, and to help bolster our community solidarity. So yeah. that's what you're hoping to accomplish. Yes. You want to make this a better, a better city. Yes, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Do you think poetry can actually do that? Oh, for sure. Um, from my own life experiences, I know that to be a fact. It, tell me about that. Yeah. In what sense? Yeah. Yeah. So... I started writing when I was 12 years old. I decided at 12 that I was going to be a poet because I read a poem by Maya Angelou called Still I Rise. Yes, you did. And I, at that time, was in a very dark place. And just the words of that poem alone began to rise something up in me. And I learned that words have this magical power to just open up perspectives to make people feel better. And we know this, right? Like anytime you you have a, um, a problem, you go to a friend who has some advice for you that opens up your perspective, that mm-hmm. makes you feel better, that changes the way you walk, right? Now imagine poems who tell that tell the truth, right? Poems that show you things that you didn't even know were possible, mm-hmm. opening up your perspective and making you dream and act slightly differently just because of what you've been exposed to. Well, I wanted to listen, have our audience uh, listen to Maya Angelou and Still I Rise because it is one powerful piece of, yeah. of poetry. Let's listen. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? 
just because I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. <laughs> just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my sassiness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just because I laugh as if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life, I rise. Jeez, what is it about that piece of poetry that would inspire you? That is such a magnificent work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it truly is. It yeah. truly is. Your appointment came on the first day of Black History Month. Mm -hmm. What sort of significance did that have for you? Yeah, um, you know, as a Black woman, I write into the Black experience. I write into the experience of being not just a Black woman, but a first-generation American, right? My mother's from Haiti, yeah. and and so there's always been this kind of, like, floating experience of, like, not quite belonging in all the Black communities, not quite belonging in the white communities, and trying to figure out my way. Right. But through that experience is where I learned that Blackness, blackness is not a monolith, right? I believe that there are stereotypes and narratives that are often pushed forward uh, about the black community that that paints the black community in a general brush mm -hmm. um, and just through my experience I learned that I cannot be put in a box right mm -hmm. I cannot um, I cannot be so simply defined like that and so to be appointed as poet laureate on the first day of black history month I believe is kind of a a testament to the opportunity for myself and for Black people everywhere, honestly, to show who they truly are, right? Rather than hiding behind these masks. Yeah. Um, Paul Lawrence Dunbar wrote a poem called We Wear the Mask, and it's about how we will smile and giggle even as we're dying on the inside, mm -hmm. because that is the expectation that we are upheld to, right? And so to take off the mask and to be honest and to break ourselves away from the stereotypes. Right. You know, you said you nominated yourself for yes. this position. Yes. What do you think it was in your application that caught the attention of the mayor and his staff? You know, I, you know, I can tell you what I want to believe. <laughs> yeah, I'll <laughs> which, take it. Which is, um, so in my application, the poem that I that I submitted is a poem that starts talking about Kansas City, right, mm. um, and development in Kansas mm. City. And how development in Kansas City can erase black bodies. And I want to believe that in the heart of the mayor and and whenever people read this, they want to hear the truth. And even if it's hard for them to speak it because of their position or anything like that, I want to believe that my words spoke it to a truth that people know in their hearts that let them know this person is not going to pull punches. Mm. This person will say it like she sees it and she will tell us what the truth is. Tell me a little more about development and the black community. Oh, for sure. So I actually organized with a um, organization called KC Tenants. Yeah. And yeah. I think and, we've heard of them around. Here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And just, just the fact of like, there's this idea of the spirit of revitalization, right? We want to revitalize our city and very, very often we see that in buildings, right? We we see different people come from out of out of town and stuff to build and 
like really profiteer, right? Like uh, capitalize on the on our on our economy. But what we don't see are the people being revitalized. What we don't see are 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 black and brown folks feeling empowered to take ownership over their communities we don't right. see what what we consider what we consider revitalization is actually a wiping away of black culture rather than attending to and a restoring of black culture to its true richness and abundance have you seen that in your own lifetime here you know i've only lived in kansas city for six years right mm-hmm. and in my time in kansas city gentrification is happening, right? I used to live on Paseo. I've lived off Truce, and I see the gentrification happening. And I don't feel, I'm not someone who's going to like, I don't like to make brash statements, right? But I will say, I do believe that there is a way for us to invest in our communities that aren't that isn't just development, right? That looks like community program that lo- programming that looks like arts in schools, right? That looks like arts on on the on like in community spaces, right? That bring people together, that allow us to have a a truer sense of ourselves, so that when other people do m- move in, because that may be inevitable, I really do not know. When other people do move in, we have such a sense of ourselves and an ownership over our own lives mm-hmm. that it isn't threatened. But it is, but it is, it is a case in where we can truly relate rather than be washed away. Yeah. We'll be right back. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. I'm visiting with Kansas City's first poet laureate. That's Melissa Ferrer-Seville. You mentioned you haven't always lived in Kansas City. You've been here for six years. Mm-hmm. What brought you here to begin with? Oh, that's a very long story. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'll tell a little bit of it. So I actually, so I was born in Brooklyn. And I was raised in Florida for 16 years and left Brooklyn. I was nine, whatever. And... At some point, I got it in my mind that I needed to figure out what God's will was for my life, right? So I went on this journey. I, I like abandoned everything and I, uh, took a wild ride to get here. I was part of a religious intentional community. I lived out of a van. I worked on a farm. I did a lot of different things to try to figure out my purpose in life. In the meanwhile, I was struggling with mental health issues Mm. and And during that time, I had a mental health break and I was in a place not too far away from here. I'm pretty sure I was in Warsaw or something like that. And Warsaw, Missouri. Warsaw, Missouri. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the hospital that I was at brought me to research psych um, here in Missouri. And I had first of all, I was just traveling around. So I had I don't know much about I didn't know much about Missouri at the time. Um, Don't even know how I really got to Kansas City specifically. But when I got here, I was in the hospital and I had a few realizations. 
one of the realizations was that I was looking for God's purpose in my life or God's will for my life. And God's will was that I was alive. Hmm. The fact that I was alive and given this gift of life mm -hmm. was a gift in and of itself. Right. And that I was continuing to shirk it off in order to pursue some big dream, some big thing that wasn't really mine. Right. Right. And then I realized that I was attached to my past because I felt like I was being punished for something I had done. So I was always looking to the past for reasoning for why I was incurring the experiences that that was happening to me. Right. Right. And I realized I had to be present with where I was, leave the past where the past was, because every time I put something in the past, I was taking it out of my hands and my own agency. Mm -hmm. And then I had to be accountable. I had to account for what was happening. I literally, I remember sitting on the floor of my hospital room and being like, there are hallucinations. I am feeling this. I am feeling that. And then I had to come to a realization. I didn't know what to do with any of this, right? Hmm. And so then I gave it to God. I was like, God, I don't actually even know who you are anymore. I don't know what life is. But I actually seriously believe that you don't have any ill will toward me. I believe that anything that you would do would help me and not hurt me. And everything right now is just hurting. I have no hope. I have no future. And I know that you give a hope and a future. So whatever you are, whoever you are, if you're listening, take this, my life, and we're going to figure this out together. Shortly after that, the uh, there was a very nice social worker who was like, we can send you on a bus back to Florida or we can get you a bed in a homeless shelter here in Kansas City. And I had the sudden insight that if I went on a bus back to Florida to my sisters, um, I would have a diagnosis. I would have a family who would mediocrely take care of me. And I would have many an excuse to not succeed. Right. Mm. And so I decided to stay in Kansas City because if I had nothing, which is truly what I came to Kansas City with, a backpack, a stuffed animal and a lot of mental health issues. If I had nothing, then I would be forced to just trust in God and and walk this journey and so i decided to stay in kansas city moved into restart lived there for four months and wow. yeah began my journey and today you're kansas city's first poet laureate that, I am that's indeed. quite a journey yeah <laughs> I, i've heard that the kansas city's poet community mm -hmm. really took you in embraced mm -hmm. you tell yes. me about that yeah so when I got to restart, one of the first things I did was go, I went straight to the library for two reasons. One, I needed to find anything that I could find on the mental diagnosis that I had because I needed them. I needed to know that it wasn't terminal. Mm -hmm. Right. And I did. I found evidence of that because I don't believe in illness. That's a whole other conversation for another time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the next time you're on up today. Yeah. yeah. But the other thing I did was I knew I needed to get on a microphone, right? Because for me, once again, poetry has been the way that I've expelled what is inside of me and and regained my sense of myself, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I found Poetic Underground. Um, poetic Underground was the second open mic that I went to. And when I went there that night, I was on the mic and I was like, this is a public service announcement. Before I read my poem, I'm really enjoying tonight, but I got here on a bus and I live at the homeless shelter and I want to stay the whole night, but the buses stop running at a certain time and I need a ride back to the homeless shelter. Oh, and a friend of mine, a now friend of mine, Abby Bland, was shouted from the back of the audience, I got you. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> she didn't even know me. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and she gave me a ride. But before she gave me a ride, I, I... So I then proceeded to say my poem, and I don't remember the poem I did, but I know the co the content that I was writing at the time had to do with 
dealing with hallucinations, Mm -hmm. dealing with religious trauma, Mm -hmm. dealing with many of these demons. All the stuff you've been struggling with. Yeah, exactly. And so and so I got off stage after being that brazen and no one batted an eyelash, Hmm. an eye. Right. No one batted an eye. And immediately um, a woman who doesn't live here anymore, a person who doesn't live here anymore, Zofia, came to me and was like, if you need anything, if you need an ear, if you need a ride, if you need anything, just let me know. And she was not the only one. Right. And they just took me in for real. Yeah. And what a powerful thing that is. Yes. I mean, it does say something about our world today, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That, that that people are that accepting and that open to lots of trauma that people are going through. And it strikes me as kind of a wonderful thing. Yes, truly. Yeah. Truly. So so what are you focusing your poetry on these days? What are you, what are you talking about? So now that I have some distance from some of the most severe mental health cases that I've or mental health crises that I've been in, I kind of have this analysis of the what impacts mental health, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in institutions of oppression, right? Um, I have an analysis of the role that white supremacy plays on the ma- black mind or the marginalized, we'll mm-hmm. say, mind and body. Um, I have an analysis of how a lot of our mental health crises, regardless of race or gender or anything like that, come from our hyper individualization and our and our turning away from the natural way of humans, which is our social, you All know, right. being social creatures, you know. And so I a lot of my work looks into that. A lot of my work looks into the world at large and yeah. Before I lose you, where can yeah. people see you perform next? For where, sure. Yeah, where, where, where's that going to happen? So I actually have a performance. I run an arts and organizing series called A Nation in Exile. And we have a show on Thursday night at 5 p.m. at 21C Museum Hotel. Uh, and that's called Heartwood Narratives. You can just look it up, A Nation in Exile on Instagram or anything. And then I have a reading at the Black Archives on Friday at 5. Okay, that's yes. Melissa Ferrer Seville, again, Kansas City's first poet laureate. Congratulations. Thank you so Thanks much. for coming in and sharing Thank your story you. with Thank us. You. you bet. Up to Date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancart, and Hallie Jackson. Our intern is Lauren Texter. Paul Nakatura works our board. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening. You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously, but you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit radioactive on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host Ari Shapiro is the featured guest at this party and it's going to be bumping. You got to be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org radioactive.